Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters and experts to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, and I cover national politics. And I'm Ron Hansen. I cover the congressional delegation. Today, we're talking about whether or not there really is a crisis on the U.S.-Mexico border. You know, that one we are constantly hearing about from President Donald Trump and his Republican allies. We're going to talk to Rafael Carranza, a border reporter at azcentral.com and a Lavos contributor, and hear about what the day-to-day experience on the border is like these days. And, you know, they'll be very quick to point out, and certainly many of the local politicians will also tell that the mayors, local sheriffs, that, you know, some of the greatest weaknesses in border security are not in between the ports of entry, but at the legal border crossings. Rafael, thank you so much for joining us today. You are the border reporter for the Arizona Republic and the USA Today Network. You were calling us by phone from your bureau in Tucson, and that is your home base, although you spend a lot of time at the border. Yes. I mean, Tucson is, you know, kind of the heartland of every anything that happens and pertaining to, to border issues. But I go down to the border very frequently, sometimes several times a week, depending on what's happening uh, you know, around the country and throughout the border. So first up, Rafael, is there really a crisis at the border? You know, I think it really depends on who you're asking. But if we are looking at the hard evidence Um, I think that there's very little support uh, behind the idea of a security crisis, as President Trump and many of the Republicans have talked about. However, um, there are, you know, lots of indications and certainly can be made the case that the crisis that exists at the border is more humanitarian in nature. And that's something that both political sides have recognized. So how different is the border in this period that we just went through with the shutdown and this unresolved period now where we could repeat that, um, how different is the border compared to, say, three months ago? Uh, and, and talk about the difference between the people who work at the border and those who simply cross it or live in border communities. Well, I, I think on the ground in itself, there hasn't really been much change. I mean, border security has always been you know, top of the line for this administration and other administrations. So the, in terms of, you know, the, the presence of law enforcement um, and all these other security apparatuses have always been in place uh, and will likely remain in place, um, you know, for many more years to come. So there hasn't been very many, uh, you know, changes in the day to day. More, It's been more of, uh, you know, how people have been feeling about these certain attitudes I think that, you know, given the, the focus on building a border wall, um, you, you have a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of people who have been a little bit demoralized um, by, you know, what has resulted as a, as a, uh, from, that, from that fight. You had the shutdown. You had a lot of uh, agents and customs officers who were, you know, working without pay for, for many, many weeks. And in talking to some of them, you know, they, they expressed some frustration you know, over having to do that. Um, obviously, many of them are, you know, very firm believers about what they do in, uh, you know, providing security for the nation. But, you know, the thought of not getting paid, I mean, just you had a lot of, uh, a lot of concern about how they were going to go ahead and do that. Um, and it, that is certainly, you know, kind of a, a bit of a change from 
what we heard about the top leaderships from, for example, say President Trump or the National Border Patrol Council, their union, who you know was talking about how uh, you know agents are in it for the long run and they're they're worth uh, you know that that this this fight is worth it as long as they get border security. But you know when you have people living paycheck to paycheck or they're doing all this work and it's very exhaustive work, you know the reality is just a bit different. So can you give us a sense when when you talk about whether or not there's a border security crisis? What are the metrics that people use to try to assess whether or not there is a crisis? And I'm, I'm talking about the people who are there day to day, the people that you encounter every day, not the politicians who might fly in and fly out for their photo ops. Well, I think with this crisis, you know, if you look, for example, and talk to uh, your Border Patrol, um, you know, they'll, they'll mention, um, you know, that you do have, you still have a lot of people coming over across the border. And certainly those numbers, I think, has been a big, uh, you know, a key argument in, in this whole debate. Uh, and overall, the, the number of apprehensions, you know, are almost at a five decade low. Uh, 2017 was a benchmark, historically low year. And the numbers that we have now are very much, you know, trending on a downward scale. If you look at it in the big picture overall, they're nothing compared to what they were about 10 years ago. Um, but, you know, regardless, even if you do have that decline, decline in apprehensions, um, the, the big metrics that a lot of the border security officials have talked about is that you still have vast quantities of drugs uh, coming in and that you also still have, uh, you know, uh, you, don't, you don't know who's coming across in terms of the people, whether they're drug traffickers or gang members or whatnot. Um, so those are, you know, some of the, the key metrics that, you know, that they make the, play, the, the case for whenever they say that they need, they need greater border security. But on the other hand, you know, you also have a lot of the, for example, the community members who live at the border who cross, you know, maybe daily for work or family or anything else. And, you know, they'll be very quick to point out, and certainly many of the local politicians will also tell that the mayors, local sheriffs, that, you know, some of the greatest weaknesses in border security are not in between the ports of entry, but at the legal border crossings, which, you know, many of them are very outdated now. Um, and that's where most of the hard drugs have been seized coming into the country. Um, and it's all it's received far less attention than, you know, say the wall or even hiring additional Border Patrol agents to patrol the areas in between those border crossings. So you mentioned metrics and, and uh, apprehensions as one metric, for example, or any kind of uh, interdiction regarding drug trafficking and such. But how about uh, something that the community can relate to more, something like crime? Do we have a sense as to whether violent crime has spiked in, in any recent period? And is it connected to uh, something that looks like I illegal immigration or uh, other border crossing? You know, that's been a very frequent, uh, you know, concern that even the president has talked about constantly. But in looking at the data, um, you know, that's something else that just doesn't match up to, to those, you know, to those warnings about, you know, massive crime coming across the border. And I think that, you know, some of the very first people who will speak out against those assertions are, you know, the mayors and local law enforcement and those people who live on the border. Um, I think consistently what we've seen is that, you know, throughout the U.S.-Mexico border, um, you know, some of those cities that are located there are among the safest in the country. And that's certainly the case for Arizona as well. I mean, if you review FBI data, um, you know, in the studies that come out year, year by year of the 20 safest cities, um, Nogales and San Luis are, you know, two of the cities that are in those top 10. And those are major border communities. Um, so I think that, you know, because of, they have such a heavy presence of 
not only just the local law enforcement, but they also have state and federal. We're talking about Border Patrol, customs officers. Sometimes, you know, there's a transportation official. So there's a large number of other, you know, agencies, the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, um, that, you know, are also based in these communities. And so it just kind of adds another layer of protection. And many of the, the residents and, you know, elected leaders there say that that's why these you know, numbers are, are so low and why these communities are so safe. So Arizona is my adopted home state. I've lived here for 17, almost 18 years now. I had no idea that those border communities were so safe. You wouldn't know that um, by reading the headlines, by maybe scrolling through your Facebook feed or listening to some of the talk radio personalities. Can you give us a sense of how residents down there talk about this so-called crisis and the wall and, you know, the migrant caravans that are heading north? I think that you can, the way that you can look at it is, um, you know, these, the people who live there, um, you know, they're living through the situation day by day. They're going about their daily lives and they see that, you know, crime is low and that all these, you know, they have all this heavy security presence in place. And so what they're hearing from politicians in Washington and even people who live farther away from the border, they see it as a huge disconnect from what's actually reality on the ground. And I think any chance that they can to talk against that, you know, they'll use it to say that, you know, these are safe communities and that, you know, this depiction of the border as unsafe is simply not true. So we've seen a lot of different politicians make their way to the border to, for an obligatory press conference and try and uh, take from it whatever seems most useful to their position at the moment. Can you give us a sense of how uh, these folks are doing in terms of uh, um, being accurate and, and putting these uh, incidents in their proper context, or are they really just kind of cherry-picking and choosing the most alarmist message they can? I think that there has been, you know, the use of facts that fit your narrative. And I think that that's been the case for, you know, both sides of, you know, the political spectrum. On one hand, you do have, for example, the Republicans who talk about, you know, overwhelmingly about border security issues when it comes to, you know, the, the drugs coming in and the crime and the gang members. And so they'll use that, those set of facts to support their claims. But on the other hand, you have, for example, the Democrats who talk about, you know, border security being more important at the ports of entry because that's where most of the hard drugs. And they you know they also have a more what they call values based approach where they're talking about defending the rights to claim asylum and, uh, you know, comprehensive immigration reform, especially for um, undocumented youth who are brought to the country as streamers. So there is, you know, that element of cherry picking to, uh, you know, kind of support the, the narrative that they're driving. So I think it's a good reminder that polling of the Arizona electorate up until at least uh, the end of 2018 was consistently showing that education was the number one issue on the minds of Arizona voters. And this was mostly centered around the idea of education funding. So immigration, border security, that wasn't as important to voters surveyed in um, some of those polls as maybe it once was. And this has kind of been a, a consistent trend since about 2016. It just seems to me that that runs counter to what we're seeing on the news, to what we're seeing coming out of the White House, what we're seeing the people on Capitol Hill really zeroing in on as a crisis where the most pressing issue 
facing this country. How do you reconcile that divide? That's something I think it's it's definitely going to continue given the emphasis on border security that's been in place. Um, And I think that even if it is... uh, it has played such an outdue influence. Uh, border security has played such a you know outdue influence on on politics. Um, I think that both parties you know can ag- have agreed that there is a need for stronger border security. And I think that as long as you continue having these uh, you know large numbers of migrants coming to the border, that's still going to you know continue being something that is not just politicized, but is going to be coming up frequently. And I think it's important to note here that the types of uh, migrants that have been coming to the border has changed, uh, you know, drastically. It is no longer the single adult males who are mostly from Mexico who are coming across the border to work. Now it's increasingly uh, Central American families and minors who are fleeing, uh, you know, situations at home ranging from poverty to violence um, to, you know, even some state repression there. Um, So I think as long as, you know, you have these populations of people who are fleeing these circumstances, they're going to continue trying to find ways to reach the border. And as long as that continues, I think we're going to continue to see this topic play out, um, you know, whether it is top of mind for most Americans or not. We've had a lot of political turnover here in Arizona in the last few years with the death of John McCain and the departure of Jeff Flake from the U.S. Senate. To see that cast sort of switched out with others who are trying to figure out their way in the Senate generally and also trying to figure out how immigration and border security all uh, come together for whatever can be done in Washington these days. It just seems like right now our standing is not what it used to be uh, in trying to drive the national discussion on uh, border security and uh, immigration reforms. Uh, Is that your sense as well? Is there just uh, too much partisan warfare to, to get anything productive these days? It, this, it does seem like, you know, there is a harder area to reach, you know, that that compromise or to find a way that would appease, you know, both sides of the debate and trying to achieve a solution here. And I think that that's something that we're going to be looking out, you know, very closely is where that sort of middle ground could play out and whether any sides are going to be giving in to any of, you know, their harsher debates. And I think in particular here in Arizona, um, I think there, it's been noticeable noticeable that the that the you know two senators, for example, um, Kristen Cinema hasn't really spoken out much or hasn't taken a very active lead in, in these matters. On the other hand, you do have Martha McSally, who represented a border district in Congress, who still you know has you know kind of driven uh, a little more of you know the hard right politics when it comes to border enforcement. You know, towing the line with President Donald Trump's. Uh, you know, stances on a lot of this is- these issues from the wall to, you know, reducing some of these uh, legal immigration matters. Um, but I think that we're going to continue to see that, but certainly not to the extent and influence that we've had with the previous two senators. I will say I ran into Senator McSally a couple of days ago at the state Republican Party, and I rushed out after her to ask her what she is doing behind the scenes on the border security issue and whether or not she thought that she could find some sort of common ground with uh, Senator Kirsten Sinema to try to advance the interests of the state on this issue. And she seems to think that there is space for them to both be able to work together. But because they so dramatically um, disagree, I think, on the direction that should be taken uh, to address 
some of these legitimate, probably, border security concerns. I don't know that that will happen before the 2020 election rolls around. So we will wait to see how this plays out. We will wait to see if we will see another government shutdown. We will be following uh, your coverage of uh, the migrant caravans, of the politics of the border walls in these communities. And Raphael, how can our listeners uh, follow you on Twitter? Uh, they can follow me. Uh, my handle is Rafael Carranza. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's it for today, Gaggle listeners. If you have any questions, reach out to me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. And you can follow me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Gaggle listeners, we want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on the show, the state of Arizona politics, our coverage, Chime in on Twitter with the hashtag TheGagglePod. We'll be sure to reply. And if you like the show, please subscribe and leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Your support is what makes it possible for us to do this each week. Today's episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley, Taya Francesca Price, Kayla White, and Katie O'Connell. Thanks again. We'll be back next Wednesday. In March 1998, Father Alfred Kuhns bled to death in the hallway of St. Michael's School. There were so many possibilities for who would want him dead. He rubbed many, many people the wrong way. The message of Father Alcuin's is one that not everybody wanted to hear. People that liked Father Kuhns and liked the church were all in, and those that weren't were all out. From the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, this is Unsolved Season 3, The Devil You Know. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.